This is Peter Petro. You're listening to The Near Future, where you can prepare today for the creative marketplace of tomorrow. This is the second segment in a series of interviews with top thought leaders who are discussing topics that can help you survive and thrive in the emerging digital marketplace. You can catch all of our upcoming interviews by subscribing to this podcast. You can also find us online at artofmusicla.com and on Twitter at Mandeville Canyon, M-A-N-D-E-V-I-L-L-E-C-Y-N. Our interview today is with Gerd Leonard, who is a top futurist. He is a sought-after speaker and author. He's worked with Google, YouTube, The Guardian, the BBC, the Financial Times, Ogilvy, the European Commission, and many others. He is an expert at really taking some very sophisticated analysis and understanding of trends and translating it into insights that help you understand where things will be and how things will operate, especially in media, over the next three to five years. One of the things we kept circling back to in this interview was the transition from a distribution model to what he calls an access model. The easiest way to understand this is when the music industry all of a sudden had to contend with MP3s. And the distribution model, which they relied on for the sale of CDs, all of a sudden essentially broke down almost overnight. And the MP3 challenged everything about that distribution model by making the files available for free to anyone almost anywhere in the world. It is only now that we're starting to see some semblance of new economic models in the Pandoras and Spotify's of the world. And Gerd feels that this is essentially what we're going to be seeing in most forms of media. And what that implies is really important because it means that how we view what we're actually delivering in the marketplace and how we can add value now in this new reality has really significantly changed. Well, in, none of those models are about distribution. Uh, they just look like they're about distribution. Really what they are about is about access. In, in three to five or ten years, or probably even before three to five years, we're not going to be worried about how we get to the music or the movie. We're not even going to be worried about the quality that we get once we get there. We're going to be worried about choice and relevance and sense and authenticity and timeliness and all these kind of things that are hard to get because it's very hard to be timely in news. It's very hard to be authentic uh, when, you're, when you're not watching the, uh, the, the right actor actually uh, in, in the movie, but, but somebody is simulating him. I mean, these are values that we're going to care a lot more about than the question of whether it's free or not, or whether we can rip it off or not. Or, I mean, the age of distribution is closing, and the age of attention and sense-making is opening up. And that opens up a whole new business model for everyone. What GERD means by sense-making is really ways to add value to the content that don't necessarily point to the content itself. Things you can do to create essentially an environment where people can interact with that content and you can add bells and whistles. So things like relevance, timeliness, having something that's geographically specific, something that is got trusted curation as a part of its offering, anything that ties in additional value. One of the smartest guys in this particular area is Kevin Kelly from Wired, who you can also check out online. Basically, the idea is to create new ways to add value around the core content that you've made. 
Yeah, for example, if you're watching, uh, you're watching the latest uh, Radiohead uh, video, then you can click on a button that says download MP3. You can do that, but it's just 96K. You want, if you want high definition, uh, you know, live stream, or you want to listen to the backstage conversation, you know, those are all premium offerings. Or you can download some concerts or whatever. You know, there's lots of lots of ways to skin the cat here, right? But this would be a very very powerful offering, and they have the scale. So the reason that doesn't happen is because the law has an exclusive license for the rights holder, where nobody can do anything unless you say yes. And uh, this used to be a good thing, and, and now it's a bad thing because basically what it means is that the companies who are in the distribution business, they don't want people to be in the access business because the access basically kills distribution as, as a leverage. And as we can see with Netflix, <laughs> you know, same, same scenario. But then again, with movies, it's a lot easier because people spend serious time watching them so you can get them to pay right up front. The most disruptive implication of all these ideas is pretty simple, that the value of the user experience in the near future will not be based on the copyrighted file as it has been up till now. It will really be based on the unique experience that that user can have with your content. The value of the music is in the context, in everything else that the artist and the music has done, and in the relevance, the timeliness, and the meaning to the, to the, uh, to the user and the consumer. So when I'm at the concert and I come out and, and uh, they're offering to buy CDs, even I would still buy a CD maybe. But would I order it from home? I, I would never order a CD now. You know, I, would in, I would do an impulse purchase. So, you know? so it, it's about context now. It's not just about the copy. And if people keep looking towards the copy to make money, it'll, they'll be hopelessly outdated because it's always possible to get a free copy even if you apply the toughest laws on the internet, it's always possible to make a copy on a computer. That's what they're there for. Spotify is probably the best current example we have of the access model in full force. Spotify now with 20 million active listeners, about 6 million of those paying $10 a month for the right to listen to whatever they want, whenever they want. Spotify makes about $600 million a year but they are still operating in the red. And interestingly, about 70% of their costs go to paying for the content itself, mostly probably to labels rather than to artists directly. This is a great example of some of the opportunities of this access model, as well as some of the sticking points. Uh, the case of Spotify is a very good case study. Um, Spotify at this point is, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a happy Spotify user. Uh, it's basically eliminating the problem of distribution because I can just go in there and I can pretty much pull up any title. I think they have 10 million or something. And it will instantly play whether I'm in the car or, or in the hotel room or whatever. And so my, my attention has shifted from this idea of how do I get the music then to what do I want to get, which, which is the question we should be asking. So... Uh, the issue, of course, with Spotify is that Spotify will not work uh, if, unless it's sort of a standard, you know, basically everywhere. And that could only be achieved by bundling it with every single telecom company in the world and reaching 2 billion people with some sort of uh, feels like free offering, which is what they want to be doing. But, of course, you know, we know what the labels think about that, that idea. Incidentally, in response to artists bemoaning what Spotify and other subscriber services are paying back to the artists, and that list includes Tom York, David Byrne, many others, Gerd says they're actually barking up the wrong tree. You know, I, I think when, whenever I read about artists saying that Spotify isn't paying enough, then I think they should be, they should be speaking up to their labels and the, and the rights societies to figure out a, a global license 
rather than to talk to Spotify, who is just on the receiving end of all this stuff without any power to do anything about it, <laughs> really. Uh, and uh, Spotify is trying to rekindle the whole thing for music, but of course they, they are stuck and they become part of the problem rather than, rather than part of the solution, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre when you think about their claim of music like water, right? Gerd says this points to an inherent conflict between the old world of distribution and the new world of access. Okay, here's a conflict, I think, that we're seeing in both in the movie industries and the music industry. Uh, and the conflict is that a lot of the companies who own distribution rights, who are the rights owners, not, not the creators, you know, for them, they want to be in the distribution business because they can count units, they can control distribution, and they can use copyright as a hammer. Uh, not having found out, of course, that, that basically distribution is now just there. And they, were, they would be much better off shifting the entire business model to attention. And, and we can see this right now, what's happening with Netflix and the movie business. You know, if we can get 2 billion people around the world to subscribe to Netflix, would we still have cable TV and satellite? I mean, this is clearly a, a cannibalization question, right? So, so these are tough issues, granted, but nevertheless, that is the shift that we're seeing. Netflix, of course, the reigning access model for the film industry. They were in the news two weeks ago for receiving their very first Academy Award nomination for a documentary called The Square about the Egyptian Revolution that follows three Emmys last year and a Golden Globe earlier this month. Their revenues dwarf Spotify. They make $3.6 billion a year from 30 million subscribers. Is this a model that could work in the music industry? Gerd says he doubts it. The thing is that in, ultimately in music, it's very hard to ask people for $10 a month for music, for streaming, because that's quite a bit of money unless, you know, unlike watching a movie, we don't spend two hours in front of our HD television listening to music. Uh, so the value of what we perceive the music to have is much more like it's, it's there like water, like I say in the book, right? Music like water. And so what you have to do in this instance is to say, well, let, let's find a way to get everyone legally involved and get some minimum revenues from it, for example, through flat rates and licensing uh, on bundles and a public music license that I have proposed many times also here in Europe, and to get some money from that and then upsell people to other levels, for example, uh, HD streams and uh, interactive productions and different language overdubs and live concerts and webcasts and another dozen, dozen of things, right? So the freemium model is very, very powerful for music. For movies, I would say we probably don't even need it because it's quite obviously a good deal to, to watch all movies a month for 10 bucks. Music, I, I think that's a tough, uh, tough sell. And if I can just buy a SIM card or buy a mobile phone or a DSL line and the music is included in some basic level, you know, basically quite a lot of it, but I can always buy an upgrade, then that would be much better and much more logical. The best thing could happen, in my view, this is just a theory now, is that if YouTube could acquire Spotify uh, and then uh, negotiate global licenses so you can have one billion people uh, watch YouTube and download the music from YouTube as part of an advertising revenue share with an upsell model. Now, that would make a boatload of money. Four big takeaways from our discussion with Gerd. Number one, he believes that in the current digital environment, there's a need to focus more on discovering an entirely new way of doing what you do as opposed to just improving by degrees. So basically what's happening is that because our world is, is rapidly speeding up and there's more and more stuff happening at an ever faster pace, you know, pretty soon you'll have 5 billion people connected to the Internet. 
it's not enough that if you're thinking of yourself as as occasionally changing your model slightly to to amend it to a slightly different scenario. Uh, it, it's basically about transformation. So if you're looking at what happens with all of the big enterprises around the world, and of course with people brands as well, you have to constantly reinvent. So uh, 50% of Apple's money is now being made with something that didn't even exist six years ago, and that that's the uh, the iPhone and the iPad and you know all this the scenario of the iTunes Store and and the uh, and the Amazon Kindle, for example. Another example, you know, five years ago there was no such such thing, and now he's selling more books on the Kindle than he sells in print. So uh, offensive innovation means going forward and saying, you know, what can I radically change to make it so much better? that this is, has a sort of a success built into it. And Skype did that, of course, and, and, and being disruptive, you know, also changing things. You know, the, the hero of this whole approach, of course, is Richard Branson and what he has done about, you know, changing transportation and banking and, and, and vacations and all these things. Number two, build partnerships. In an era that he calls hyper-dependent and hyper-collaborative, it pays to build a framework of partners rather than try and do everything yourself. My, my whole theory behind this is that we're moving into a world that I call a hyper-collaboration world. So basically what that means is I think it's almost impossible to do something that is sort of empire-type thinking or building a sandcastle. You know, that's entirely yours, like universal music, you know, or, or you know, big banks or countries, for that matter. You can't do that anymore because it's all interdependent. Everything is connected to everything else. So if you are going to be successful, you have to connect on multiple layers to multiple uh, surrounding partners to make it work. And, and of course, there's no better example than, than the, the music business, which is now a technology business and, and a device business and a content business and an advertising business, all of those things together. So basically, the interdependence is forcing us to collaborate more than ever before because it's very unlikely that we'll have enough luck and money to completely run everything ourselves, which is what prevailing business paradigm was just 20 years ago, is you know, to be independent, uh, self-funded, and so you can run the whole show, and that's it, especially, of course, in the movie business uh, and in the, in the music business. Number three, breaking into new industries that you might not have seen as your core service before. Uh, and I think going forward, it's, you know, we have to get outside of the silo. This is the worst part about all of the content industries. You know, if you're in a content business, you are in the hardware business, as Apple has proven, vice versa, of course, right? And if you're in the content business, you are in the advertising business because most content, you know, film content and TV shows are funded by advertising. And if you're in the content business, you know, you're, you're also in the technology business because you have to understand how people consume things. They, these silos are exploding now. If you don't know the other pieces of the equation, you can't be successful because you, you can't measure the impact of the other areas around you. And you just go back and saying, well, all I need is a good artist. It'll be fine. Well, that, that's just not the case. And number four, the huge economies of scale on the Internet now allow for entirely different pricing models, including the ability to set your prices very, very low and still make a profit. Yeah, I mean, uh, keep in mind, you know, the general thing, Thing that's happening on the web is, is as follows, and you see that anywhere from publishing to movies to music, is that we have much larger audiences. So pretty soon, approaching five billion in the next five years, connected people. Right, sixty percent of the entire world will be connected in five years. That's about five billion or so. So we have a lot more people. Uh, the second thing that will happen here is because there are so many of them and so few of quality output still the price will go down, the price per unit. 
in the old days, we had very few people buying 10 CDs a year or something. So now we have all of a sudden we have 5 billion potential consumers, a much, much larger crowd, and the distribution cost is zero, basically. So we have lower costs, we have a higher crowd, higher number of people, and we have a lower number of per unit costs. For example, this is where the streaming on Spotify is so cheap for the artist, right? So, but when the number is so high and the costs are so low, I, we will come out vastly ahead. And this is the mechanics of digital content. For more insights on the mechanics of digital content, you can subscribe to this podcast and catch all of our upcoming interviews. For more information on GERD, you can find him online at futuristgerd.com. F-U-T-U-R-I-S-T-G-E-R-D. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Mandeville Canyon and online at artofmusicla.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time.